0: What does Motion sound like? With Hands free shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of Motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com/socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast. Making the Bible come to life. spies crept up the crest of the hill and and looked down the hill into the city and what they saw blew their mind giants giants i mean really large dudes can you imagine that they saw giants I imagine these giants were acting as guards, standing on sentry duty, guarding the entrance to their particular clan leader's palace or their king's castle. Other giants in this clan were building and working the fields and maybe practicing sword fighting. All the usual stuff that townspeople do, but the difference is these men were giants. Giant iron workers. Giant farmers. Giant soldiers. I can imagine Joshua and Caleb snuck forward to the edge of the town, staying low in the grass. The other spies are saying, no, come back, come back. But Joshua and Caleb, the bravest of the 12, scrunch forward, staying low in the grass. I imagine the other spies are telling them not to go, but Joshua and Caleb, they don't care because they're the bravest. I can imagine they got close to one of the giant swords and they pick it up and they pull it away and they look at it, it's practically as tall as they are. Or maybe they found one of the sandals of the giants and they put it on their foot and man, it dwarfs might size 12, size 10. These people are huge. And then they put it all back and then they scurry back to the rest of the spies as they Leave the town laughing. I mean, they got that close to the giants and they didn't even know, and they leave them all behind high-fiving as they go. Caleb and Joshua are probably talking about how cool it was. You know, they're walking on ahead and they're talking about how cool it's going to be to see how God would deal with these giants. How would Yahweh fight them? What would he do to help the Israelites achieve victory and defeat them? You know, and they're walking ahead, talking, and and they're discussing all the exciting possibilities and all the amazing ways God's going to give them victory. But the other 10 spies, they're not high-fiving. They're not too excited, and instead they're gulping a lot out of fear and sweating and and starting to feel a little queasy. They're getting that disease called scaredy pants. That disease that shuts your faculties down, that won't let you walk in a straight line or get your arms and hands to work together in coordination. That disease, and it's beginning to run rampant through. Each of the other ten spies, Joshua and Caleb, were ready and excited to fight and follow Yahweh into battle. The other ten, they just wanted their knees to stop knocking together. To them, this was scary stuff. How did the people of Israel get here and who are these giants they're supposed to fight? My question for you is this. When you see a glass with water halfway up, is this glass half full or to you is it half empty? Do you see the glass as half full and say, it's got half of a drink left that I can enjoy? Or do you see it as half empty? Man, I wanted a full drink and now I only get half of it. That's not fair. I think today's story is a good example of how we as believers in Jesus should always be glass-half-full people, not glass-half-empty people. With Jesus leading the way, we are always victorious. Well, we could be, but instead we see the negatives, the problems that await us. Hudson Taylor, a famous missionary, once said about working for the Lord, There are three stages to every great work of God. First, it is impossible. Then, it is difficult. Then, it is done. Men of faith have always been faced with incredible odds stacked against them. But many times, that is exactly where God wants us. Why? Why? Well, let's find out by listening to this week's story. See, Moses and the people of Israel were finally at the border of the promised land. After roughly two years of moving from Egypt, meeting with Yahweh at Mount Sinai, getting the Ten Commandments, building the tabernacle, following Yahweh every day, seeing the glory of the Lord descend in a cloud and a pillar of fire every day, they finally arrived at the promised land. This was it. This was the land God promised to their great forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the land that they were about to inhabit. And in this land, Abraham was buried there in a cave. And in this land, this promised land, Jacob had wrestled with God. And they'd heard all these other stories growing up. And all of them had occurred in the land they were about to possess. But first... They had to spy out the land. They had to see what the land was like. Was it good for cattle and farming? And and what were the cities like? Were they nice to live in? Were they strongholds? And they were also needing to find out who was in the land. Who were the tribes that were in there? How many? How big were they? Were they tough? Were they well stocked with weapons and fighting men and armies? So Moses gathered one mighty man of valor from each of the twelve tribes of Israel. Twelve spies representing all of the tribes. The Bible lists them all. There was Shemua from the tribe of Reuben, Shaphat from the tribe of Simeon, Caleb from Judah, Igal from Issachar, Joshua from Ephraim, and seven more, all of them, fighting men. I can imagine them standing there, flexing their muscles as Moses calls them up to serve. Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Amiel, Sether, Nabi, and Ghoul from Gad. My favorite name, Ghoul from Gad. I mean, these were the best of the best, the leaders in each of their tribes, great fighters, probably survival experts, maybe they were there ready to go, ready to spy out the land. So Moses sends them out. They have 40 days to check out the land. They're going to start in the south and move all the way north, practically going into Damascus. That's how north they went. They'll travel 150 miles in exploring the land, and they'll have 40 days to accomplish it all. And so the men left and crossed the border and began to explore the land. At this time, the people groups in the land were the Amalekites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Philistines, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Girgashites, and the sons of Anak the giant clan. So they traveled fast, checking out the various cities and the armies that each city and tribe possessed. They worked their way north up to Shechem where Jacob had built an altar to Yahweh. And on the way back, they got to Hebron where they would have seen the cave where Abraham, their beloved father, was buried. They spent 40 days seeing it all. and Then at the end... They cut a cluster of grapes so large it had to be carried on a pole between two men if they were going to get it home. And during this time, Caleb and Joshua see Anak and this tribe of giants that's there. And, And I think when Caleb and Joshua saw that tribe, they were excited and thrilled about the thought of taking them down, especially Caleb. But I think the other men... The other spies when they saw those giants i think that's when they got really scared so on day 40 when they crossed the border and were back at camp There was Moses, excited to hear all about the land. I imagine Joshua and Caleb rushed forward to tell Moses all the exciting news. This was a land flowing with milk and honey, Joshua and Caleb are saying. What that ultimately means is not that there were rivers of milk and rivers of honey, though that would be pretty cool, especially rivers of honey, but rather that this land was luscious and perfect for cattle and farming. The milk and the honey. You know, there's was an abundant land that would grow all the crops they needed and would be able to feed all the cows and cattle they could have. I imagine Joshua steps up and tells Moses and the people who had gathered here, he tells them of the massive fields and abundance of wealth in the land and, and how the cities are large and well fortified. And probably Joshua's thinking, He's excited about the opportunity for Israel to inherit these towns. And then Caleb steps forward and tells Moses and the people, let's go up now and let's take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. Numbers 13 verse 30. We can certainly conquer it. That's what Caleb said. Yes, Moses is excited. Yes, the people are cheering. Yes, the people are excited to charge into the land and take it back for Yahweh. But then, I wonder which one of the manly men was the first to voice his fears. With a name like Palti, I think it was him. Um, uh, Moses? Uh, that stuff's all true, but, um, uh, uh the, the, this place is, um, uh, scary. Uh, the, the people are strong. The, the people are mighty. They have giants. Hey, hey, somebody else pipes in. Did we tell you they have giants? And then another one pipes in. They have giants! Yes! They have the descendants of Anak, descendants of Nephilim. One of them screams, the Nephilim? The Nephilim? No, not the Nephilim. The Nephilim, no. And people are screaming, the Nephilim? Not the Nephilim, please. No, no, the Nephilim, no. Did I tell you they have giants? No. And the people are starting to get scared. And those 10 spies, they report that the land had giant clans. And they called them sons of Anak, descendants of the Nephilim. And one of them, the Bible says, steps forward and says, the land will devour us. It's got huge mountains and big rocks and, and the people are strong and they've got fortified cities. And did we say they have the Nephilim, Paulty yells from the back because he's shaken in fear and curled up in the fetal position on the floor. They have Nephilim! Who were these Nephilim, and why were they so scary? See, the Nephilim were descendants of what happened years ago, before the flood. See, it's found in Genesis chapter 6, and one of the reasons God sent the flood was because of the sin that was infecting the people and running rampant through the earth. I mean, it got so bad, the Bible says that every thought of man was evil continually. Well, one of the reasons that was so is because the people were being led in that sin because of the Nephilim. Now, these were men who were the offspring of the union between demonic angels and human women. Talk about scary stuff. So some people believe these Nephilim could have been half-human, half-supernatural, half-angel. And it seems like that many of these half-human, half-supernatural beings, they took the form of giants. They were tall. And they were scary. And they had supernatural origins. And it seems like that Anak... This guy named Anak was one of the Nephilim. And here in the land that they were supposed to take back was a large clan of his people. People who could say they were descendants of Anak. Well, these people were huge. They were giants themselves. And not only that, they were probably scary Maybe some of them were half-demonic themselves, half-human, half-demonic. Or maybe they had the ability to call on some supernatural demonic power and use it for their evil purposes. To say you were a descendant of a Nephilim meant you had demonic-type powers and supernatural-type abilities. And it represented to the average Israelite, when you heard the word Nephilim, when you heard "descendant of Anak," the average Israelite, they're thinking one word. And that word is evil—an evil, evil incarnate—and if you can imagine the scariest most evil thing, the scariest monster, the most evil dictator, whatever for you is evil personified, to the average Israelite, when they heard Anak, when they heard Nephilim, that is exactly what they thought. So for them, this was scary stuff. Well, eventually, all ten of the other spies, they began to cry out in fear, and and then they began to complain, and then they said that there is no way they should go into the land. Then, sadly, some of them tried to take over the leadership of Israel from Moses and Aaron. And then they got the people of Israel on their side and their complaints and fears swept through the Jewish people to the point where some of the leaders of the people rose up to try to stone Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, and they wanted to head back to Egypt. If only, they said, we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land but to die by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Numbers 14, verses 2 through 4. Had they all forgotten about what God had done for them? Had they forgotten about the Red Sea crossing and that amazing miracle? And that they got to see the glory of the Lord right there in a cloud in front of them. The water God provided out of stone. How about that miracle? Had they forgotten it all? But aren't we the same? When we see or face an obstacle or when we hear bad news from the doctor, or God does not work things out according to our timetable and the way we think he should, or if we face disappointment or loss or anything that we don't want to go through and it's going to cause us suffering, we don't think it's fair, and, ah, this is not what I wanted, our immediate reaction, at least my immediate reaction, is just to complain and complain and to forget. To forget that God is in control. To forget about all the wonderful things God has done for us. We forget about it all, especially if we're about to face pain and suffering. We are in many ways no different. The Nephilim, sons of Anak, this is incredibly scary stuff to these people. People. And they don't want to face it, so they forget. They forget about God, they forget about faith, and they want to run. Well, Caleb and Joshua step up and try to rally the people. They try to stop the negativity and they tell the people about the wonders that await them if they will trust Yahweh. They end their speech with this call only I can imagine Caleb is saying this. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Only don't rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land. For we will devour them. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Numbers fourteen nine. Don't be afraid of them. I can imagine Caleb yells, Don't be afraid of them. Joshua resounds right behind him. Don't be afraid of them. We have the Lord on our side. He will protect us. He will watch over us. Don't be afraid of them. Yes, what a speech. And in response, what do the people do? Well, like I said, they begin to pick up stones To start stoning Joshua and Caleb to death? The very lives of Joshua and Caleb and Moses and Aaron are at risk. The people are insanely afraid. This is ridiculous. Have they forgotten so much that they're ready to kill their leaders? Well, God, he acts. God, the Bible says, shines forth his glory at the tent of the meeting. Now, I don't know if that means all of a sudden a flash of glory went forth and everybody looked and they saw it. it was so bright they had to drop their rocks. Or if the cloud all of a sudden showed up at the entrance to the tent and and all they saw was the, the glory of the Lord. All I know is that the sight of the glory of the Lord, whatever that looked like, bzz, ah, that's so bright, bzz, oh, God is here. The sight of the glory of the Lord stopped everything. The Israelites dropped their rocks. They no longer threatened Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb at the sight of the glory of the Lord. Well, God calls Moses over. and Moses and the Lord meet at the tent of meeting. And there God says, Moses... I want to destroy them. I want to destroy them all and start a new tribe, a new people group from you, Moses. I'm going to send a plague among them and I'm going to wipe out all of their faithless, whiny, complaining lives. That's what God said He wanted to do. But again, Moses. The humblest man who ever walked the face of the earth. The kindest man who ever walked the face of the earth. Moses, he prays and pleads and intercedes for his people. He again brings up the fact that, please don't kill them. If you kill them, the other nations around us will say, what type of God is that? And then your name will be defamed. You know, they're going to say, who brings his people out here just to kill them? What's the point? And your name is going to be to Don't do it, please. And he intercedes for the people. And again, because of the intercession of Moses, Yahweh relents and says, all right, I will not kill them with a plague. But Yahweh tells Moses that instead he's going to make the people stop at the border turn around, and head back towards the Red Sea. And they're going to wander in the desert for the next 40 years until this whole generation dies. Anyone 20 years or older, they're all going to die. They're not going to get a chance to go into the Promised Land. They will never get that chance. They lost that chance. And then when they're all dead... I will come back here, God says, and we're going to invade the land with you, Moses, and Joshua, and Caleb, and this generation's children. They will be the ones to inherit the land. They will be the ones who will conquer and take it back. Go tell the people that. So Moses goes and gives the news to the people. And as he tells them this, right then and there, the Bible says that those 10 faithless spies, those 10 spies who rallied the people to reject God, to doubt his promises, they rallied the people against God, those 10 spies, those 10 men, the Bible says at that moment, right then and there, they were struck down and killed on the spot. Well, the people, in seeing that, and then in hearing the message from God, that anyone twenty or older was doomed to wander in the desert until they all died, when they heard that, a bunch of them decided, "All right, all right, we were wrong. We're, we're going to trust God," and and they decided to raid into the land. The Bible says the people were overcome with grief and they got up early the next morning and went up to the ridge of the hill country saying, let's go to the place the Lord promised for we were wrong. Numbers 14, 39 through 40. They admit they were wrong. We messed up. No, we doubted God. And so they began to raid into the land, but Moses told them no. Don't go. Yahweh's not with you. Yahweh's not among you. You will lose. But they didn't listen, and they decided to attack a town in the hill country belonging to the Amalekites and the Canaanites, and guess what? They were wiped out in battle. It was done. They had their chance. They listened to the doubters. They forgot the promises of God. They forgot all that God had done for them. They basically rejected God and everything he offered them. They rejected it all. And so God said, you will die in your unbelief and your faithlessness. What happens next? Well, you'll have to come back to hear what happens to the rest of their wilderness wanderings, but this is a sad moment. Can you imagine the rest of your life you're doomed to just wander in the desert until you die? But remember, they rejected God. They rejected God. They had no faith. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please him. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, they heard the word of God. They were with God. And in the end, they rejected God. And they did not live by faith. Essentially, these were people who quit believing in Yahweh. God says he is a rewarder of those who believe in him, right? If you believe he exists, he will reward you if you diligently seek him. The Bible says if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you just have to put your faith in him, which starts with believing that he is who he says he is. That he is God, that he is the truth, the way, the life. That's why John 3.16 is such an important verse. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever, what's the next word? Believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You just have to believe. I encourage you. If you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus... Do it today. Ask him to save you. And the Bible says that he will save you. All that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It starts with belief. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross, defeated sin and death, and rose again from the dead? Do you believe that? The Bible says all you have to do is ask him to save you. And it starts with believing that he's able to save you, right? Ask him to save you today. Begin that life of faith. Don't be like this whole generation of Israelites who rejected God, who put their faith in themselves, and who ultimately paid the heaviest price of all. Separation from God forever. Let's not be like them. Let's believe. Let's put our faith and trust in Jesus. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast.